0: You can get this full audiobook for free on Amazon by clicking on the link in the description. Is brought to you by the Book Guide. I was arrested in Eno's Diner at 12 o'clock. I was eating eggs and drinking coffee. A late breakfast, not lunch. I was wet and tired after a long walk and heavy rain, all the way from the highway to the edge of town. The diner was small, but bright and clean. Brand new, built to resemble a converted railroad car. Narrow, with a long lunch counter on one side and a kitchen bumped out back. Booths lining the opposite wall. A doorway where the center booth would be. I was in a booth, at a window, reading somebody's abandoned newspaper about the campaign for a president I didn't vote for last time, and wasn't going to vote for this time. Outside, the rain had stopped, but the glass was still pebbled with bright drops. I saw the police cruisers pull into the gravel lot. They were moving fast, and crunched to a stop. Light bars flashing and popping, red and blue light in the raindrops on my window. Doors burst open, policemen jumped out, two from each car, weapons ready, Two revolvers, two shotguns. This was heavy stuff. One revolver and one shotgun ran to the back. One of each rushed the door. I just sat and watched them. I knew who was in the diner. A cook in back, two waitresses, two old men, and me. This operation was for me. I had been in town less than a half hour, The other five had probably been here all their lives. Any problem with any of them and an embarrassed sergeant would have shuffled in. He would be apologetic. He would mumble to them. He would ask them to come down to the station house. So the heavy weapons and the rush weren't for any of them. They were for me. I crammed egg into my mouth and trapped the five under the plate folded the abandoned newspaper into a square and shoved it into my coat pocket, kept my hands above the table, and drained my cup. The guy with the revolver stayed at the door. He went into a crouch and pointed the weapon two-handed at my head. The guy with the shotgun approached close. These were fit, lean boys, neat and tidy. Textbook moves— The revolver at the door could cover the room with a degree of accuracy. The shotgun up close could splatter me all over the window. The other way around would be a mistake. The revolver could miss in a close-quarters struggle, and a long-range shotgun blast from the door would kill the arresting officer and the old guy in the rear booth as well as me. So far, they were doing it right. No doubt about that. They had the advantage. No doubt about that, either. The tight booth trapped me. I was too hemmed in to do much. I spread my hands on the table. The officer with the shotgun came near. Freeze! Police! he screamed. He was screaming as loud as he could, blowing off his tension and trying to scare me. Textbook moves. Plenty of sound and fury to soften the target. I raised my hands. The guy with the revolver started in from the door. The guy with the shotgun came closer. Too close. Their first error. If I had to, I might have lunged for the shotgun barrel and forced it up. A blast into the ceiling, perhaps, and an elbow into the policeman's face, and the shotgun could have been mine. The guy with the revolver had narrowed his angle and couldn't risk hitting his partner. It could have ended badly for them. But I just sat there, hands raised. The guy with the shotgun was still screaming and jumping. Out here, on the floor, he yelled. I slid slowly out of the booth and extended my wrists to the officer with the revolver. I wasn't going to lie on the floor. Not for these country boys. Not if they brought along their whole police department with howitzers. The guy with the revolver was a sergeant. He was pretty calm. The shotgun covered me as the sergeant holstered his revolver and unclipped the handcuffs from his belt and clicked them on my wrists. The backup team came in through the kitchen. They walked around the lunch counter, took up position behind me. They patted me down. Very thorough. I saw the sergeant acknowledge the shakes of the heads. No weapon. The backup guys each took an elbow. The shotguns still covered me. The sergeant stepped up in front. He was a compact, athletic white man, lean and tanned, my age. The acetate nameplate above his shirt pocket said, Baker. He looked up at me. You are under arrest for murder, he said. You have the right to remain silent anything you say may be used as evidence against you. You have the right to representation by an attorney. Should you be unable to afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you by the state of Georgia free of charge. Do you understand these rights?' It was a fine rendition of Miranda. He spoke clearly. He didn't read it from a card. He spoke like he knew what it meant, and why it was important, to him and to me. I didn't respond. Do you understand your rights? He said again. Again, I didn't respond. Long experience had taught me that absolute silence is the best way. Say something, and it can be misheard, misunderstood, misinterpreted. It can get you convicted. It can get you killed. Silence upsets the arresting officer. He has to tell you silence is your right, but he hates it if you exercise that right. I was being arrested for murder, but I said nothing. Do you understand your rights? The guy called Baker asked me again. Do you speak English? He was calm. I said nothing. He remained calm. He had the calm of a man whose moment of danger had passed. He would just drive me to the station house, and then I would become someone else's problem. He glanced round his three fellow officers. Okay, make a note. He's said nothing, he grunted. Let's go.